Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Well, I, I uh, shared with some folks at the first service uh, just how much I appreciate our, our praise team and the, uh, the leadership they bring to this church and to this assembly. Um, I, I remember years ago hearing uh, the late K.C. Mosier say that he looked forward to the day that our theology caught up to our singing. Uh, and I, in other words, we've got some beautiful messages in our songs. And that was true, you know, 40, 50 years ago when he said that. And I think it's even more true today. And I'm just so thankful that God gave some people the gift of music. Um, he did not give me that. Some of you have more than you should because you got mine. Um, I don't have that gift, but boy, it just, it speaks to our hearts. And uh, it's wonderful when you have uh, good messages and songs. And it's also good when you have people who've been gifted vocally to bring out those messages. And when you bring that together, like, like we do every week, uh, and I just, I really appreciate all that you folks do. Um, tell Abby that I appreciate what she does and uh, Jimmy as well. Um, welcome to those of you who are, are here online. You, uh, this is like the, the October or November time change for you. You got an extra uh, hour of sleep. We're now uh, uh, broadcasting our second service rather than the first. I, I kind of wonder if maybe there were just so many complaints that people would say, let's, let's give him a second shot. Let's make it a little bit later. So the first service is practice, and this is the real one. I don't know if that's it or not. I think maybe... Uh, it's just kind of logistically works out better as well. So uh, anyway, we're glad that glad that you're here. Well, a few weeks ago, we began a series uh, on repentance that I am calling alignment. The idea being that we want to align our lives with God's will for us. And when we are misaligned, then uh, the way what we need to do is come back, realign. And that is what we call repentance. And what I want to do this week is really return to where we were last week, because uh, this is really kind of the second half of, of what I started last time. Uh, you may recall that uh, last time we, I said that we're really not going to kind of focus on the externals. Uh, what I said last time was that a change of behavior is not the meaning of repentance. It is the result. And we, we tend to want to focus on a list of things that we're supposed to do, you know, and, and make it all about the externals. And that's, that is not what repentance is. Repentance does uh, involve some externals, but it begins on the inside. Uh, repentance, what it really means is a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. There is behavior change, but it is prompted by what's going on inside us. And I told you last week that that very uh, word repentance uh, literally is a change of mind. It's a, a Greek word that the, the root is mind, and it's added to a, a prefix is added to that that means different or another or change. So repentance is literally a different mind um, and a, a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. In other words, something is going on inside us. Uh, that makes us want to do whatever we need to do to uh, kind of get things lined up with God's will for us. And so we talked about a couple of forces that can lead to that because that's not an easy thing. You know, it's not an easy to change your mind, your heart, 
tough, tough things sometimes, but God has given us some resources. Uh, one of those is truth, especially truth as is expressed in the Bible. Uh, we, we learn things that make us want to live differently, that change us on the inside. And, so, and another resource is experience. Uh, sometimes we, uh, we kind of take that step um, that, that God has put on our hearts, and this, that taking that action reinforces what God is calling us to do. So there were a couple, and, uh, and so I, I, what I shared with you last time, this question that I hope you've been able to reflect on this, this week, when was the last time you made a significant change in your life because of something you read in the Bible? As we mature, I think we're doing that, hopefully, we're doing that less and less, but we never stop doing that. And so are you, are you letting truth speak to you uh, and then do the experiences follow? And that led to uh, the, the final kind of point from last week. This, my suggestion is read the Bible and do what it says. That's, that's an oversimplification, I know, because there are things we have to interpret and how do we apply this, but that's, that's a kind of a good rule of thumb if you're looking for some way to, to, for it to be more natural, I guess, for you to better align your life with God's will, just open up your Bible, start reading it, and when you see something that, boy, that speaks to me, then, then do what it says. Now, I want to add a couple more of uh, these resources. We talk, as I said, we talked about truth and experience last time. What has God given us, besides those two things, that will... That will have the power to change us internally, uh, that will change our minds and change our hearts. And the third one that I would add to truth and experience is sorrow. We're, we're sorry for what is, has happened. Uh, and we really saw that in the passage from 2 Corinthians 7 that we read last week. And I'm going to go back to that. Well, I won't set the entire scene again. You can go online and, uh, and listen and kind of understand the context of what's going on here. I want to kind of come down to the, the middle of this passage here. But this, this, this uh, section is just overflows with this idea of sorrow making an impact. In fact, in about, there's about a four and a half verse span in this text where the word sorry or sorrow is used eight times, just in four and a half verses. So let's kind of pick up in the, in the middle of this section here, where Paul says, now I am glad I sent it. This is this severe letter that we talked about last week. I'm glad I sent you that letter, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. Literally, the pain caused you to change your mind, repent, and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. We think of sorrow as something to be avoided at all costs. Nobody wants to feel sorrow. But what Paul is saying is there's something good that actually could come from that. And there, there are a, a testimony to that. Uh, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. It doesn't take us to a good place. Um, just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness to clear yourselves. Such indignation. Such alarm. Such longing to see me. Such zeal. And such a readiness to punish wrong. You show that you have done everything necessary to make things right. And so... 
What Paul wanted to see happen in Corinth was, was coming together because of sorrow. They felt bad that there was this rift between them and Paul that had been caused by somebody else. I mean, they felt really bad about that. Um, it, it, it bothered them. It bothered them enough where they did something about it. They, they made things right. Now, um, we know what the words sorrow and sorry, we know what those words mean. But in, in English, they don't capture the kind of depth that I think they do in, in Greek, the language in which Paul was writing here. Because we can use the words uh, sorrow and sorry very lightly. Uh, you know, I'm sorry I didn't hear you, you know. Uh, well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure sorry is the, really the, the right word for that, but that's just kind of a polite way. Of, in fact, usually if I don't hear someone, kind of my go-to response is sorry. You know, this sorry is a way of saying, say that again. So we can use that word very lightly. We can use it sarcastically. You know, well, like, I'm really sorry we didn't have enough cake for you to have four pieces instead of just three. You know, just sarcasm. I'm not really sorry about that, but it's a way of, of kind of getting a dig at. We even have a game called sorry. And so a lot of different ways that we can use that. In Greek, though, it, it carries more intensity. There are some passages where the context, context uh, leads the, the word to be translated as pain uh, or distress or affliction. And that's what was going on in Corinth. They were hurt. They were really hurt that there had been this, this problem that caused Paul to feel bad and that threatened his ministry there. And they felt such sorrow about that, such uh, distress and affliction uh, that they did what they needed to do to, to make, it, make it right. And so in this case, it was sorrow that contributed to the change of mind that led to a change of behavior. So that's a, a very, very powerful resource, sorrow. A second one, or really the fourth one, um, is, is a companion, I think, to sorrow and is a good counterbalance, and that is grace. Grace is a, a wonderful resource to help us realign our lives um, according to the will of God. Now, here's what I find really interesting about this, this combination. You, you might think that grace would neutralize sorrow. That um, maybe grace would lead me to say that I don't really have to feel sorry because you know God's forgiven me and um, you know, it's okay. Uh, I, I did something wrong. I, I misaligned my life with God's word, but it's, I don't have to feel bad about that because that debt has been paid. But I don't think it really works that way, or it shouldn't work. That's not really grace when, when that sort of thing happens. And believe it or not, I think grace can actually intensify the pain of sorrow sometimes and make us feel even more sorry when we're given grace. You know, I remember when I was a kid, um, if, you know, it was sort of a, uh, there were lots of context in which this was true, but uh, I remember in church, you know, we talked about the, the five acts of worship, and I was always getting in trouble in church because I was a little kid. In fact, my dad used to say, well, actually there are six acts of worship for Tim, and the sixth one is being taken out for a spanking, you know, and I don't, but you could do all sorts of psychoanalysis about what it means that a guy who was always in trouble and getting taken out and spanked in church is now a preacher. I don't know exactly what all that means, but I mean, when I got punished um, as a child, it, 
probably didn't have the desired effect as much as it should have. <laughs> In other words, it didn't lead to a change. I, I, you know, if I got spanked for something, I would blame them, you know, for, I'd be mad at them for being so mean to me and not understanding me, you know, and being so cruel or whatever. Uh, and they weren't cruel, they were just being parents. Um, but if I did something wrong and I didn't get punished, but instead there was a tear in my mother's eye, that was like cheating <laughs> because that, that would absolutely bring about a change of behavior. So much more so than the, the punishment would more often than not. And so it was grace. I didn't get what I deserved, but that, that act of grace and that realization really led to a, a different kind of behavior. And so you, you can, we all can think about some sin that we committed this week. Just what, what, bring to mind some sin that you committed this week. Maybe you looked at something you weren't supposed to look at. You said something you weren't supposed to say. You, there was something you should have done. There was an opportunity and you, you missed out on it. That sin put Jesus on the cross. I mean, that, that sin was a hammer blow into the nails that went into his hands and his feet. It should have been our hands and feet. We were the ones who should have gone to the cross, but instead, what happened? We were given grace. He, he took on our punishment. He took the punishment that we deserved, and instead, we reap the forgiveness that the cross afforded. So grace, grace is not just, oh, it's okay. You know, yeah, you, you messed up, but it's, it's no big deal. It's a very big deal. What grace is, it's not God ignoring our sin, it is God dealing with our sin. And the way he dealt with our sin was by putting it on Jesus. That's, that's really what grace is, is God putting that sin on Jesus. Well, I, I don't think we can just easily walk away from that and say, boy, that's a close one. I almost got in trouble there. <laughs> you know, I did something did something wrong, I, I was misaligned with the, the will of God, but it's nothing to worry about now. And so, you know, why, why worry about aligning my life with the will of God if, if it's okay when I don't, if I'm given grace when I don't? Well, Paul speaks to that. Early on in Romans, he's talking about, you know, the sin of the Jews and the sin of the Gentiles and kind of bringing some things together about that. And in Romans chapter 2, in verse 4, he said, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Now, if you want a nice little exercise to do this week, make a list. Just make a list of how you have seen God being wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient with you. All those times where, you know, he had the, could have very easily have zapped you, you know, but, but didn't. And, and the, the blessings that he's given us in spite of our weaknesses, all, just make a list of all those, all those ways that God has shown you kindness, tolerance, and patience. Now, what do, you, what do you do with that? How does that impact you? Well, that's what, what Paul says next. He said, does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that this kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? That's... That's what God's kindness, that's what His grace is all about. It is an incredible motivator to bring us closer to Him. A God who would do this? A God who would 
put His Son on the cross for me, a, a God who would uh, you know, bless me in so many ways and show me so much kindness, in fact, uh, in spite of the fact that I sometimes turn my back on Him, that's the God I want to be with. That's the God I want to listen to. I want to align my life with a God like that. And by the way, this phrase here, uh, His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin. You want to guess what that phrase really means? Well, the word repentance is in there. Literally, it is, it is uh, that God's kindness is intended to lead you to a new mind. That's repentance. God's kindness is intended to lead you to a new mind. And so, um, so there is this great resource in, um, in coming to see Jesus on the cross and coming to understand what God has done for us that will produce this, this change of mind. Now, if we can link these two together, sorrow is a great resource for leading us to repentance, and grace is a great resource for leading us to repentance. And what I think is really uh, special is when you see them working together, and that's really how they, they should work, that, that sorrow should lead us to grace. I, I realize what I have done, and, uh, and I... There's nothing I can do about that except go to God and give it to Him and say, I, I need your forgiveness. And it can also work the other way, that my life is misaligned with God, but I, I see His grace. You know, I listen to some of the songs that we sang on a day like today, perhaps, and it just, well, it makes me sorry for that unrepentant sin in my life, and that drives me to repentance. So either way, it is, it is sin coming face to face with Jesus on the cross, that leads to a change of mind that produces a change of behavior. That, that's, that's how it works. I, um, I, I go to the cross, and either I see, I did this to him, and I feel bad, I feel sorrow about that, or I see, he did this for me, grace. And, I, and I, either way, though, I'm, I'm drawn to him. So if, if there is something that is telling you you're just, you're not aligned with God right now in your life. Um, and you know that. You know that uh, God has a will for you, a general will and a specific will perhaps, but you just know that you're not, you're not aligned, you're not living the life that God has in mind for you. And maybe the indicator of that is you're here today out of really the fear of consequences if you don't come if you're not, not here. Uh, maybe your walk with God has really become more of a burden than a blessing. If, you're, if your life just isn't right with God, you're misaligned, it may be that you have these two forces out of balance or, or one is missing from your life. Maybe there is, there is no sorrow for your sin, that it's kind of become something you don't notice you don't, you don't feel anymore. Um, maybe you have forgotten just how poor and how destitute you were spiritually when you were away from God. You've, you've failed to remember how great that gap is between you and God because of sin. And so you, you just don't feel that remorse anymore. You don't see the tears of God when you turn your back on Him. Timothy, or Paul wrote to Timothy and described people who he said uh, had, their, their consciences have been seared. 
as with a hot iron. It's, you know, the, there's no nerve receptors there anymore. It's been seared as with a heart, uh, hot iron. Uh, in other words, there's no sensitivity. And just maybe, I mean, I, I think we can get there. We can, we can at least have that trajectory where we're moving in that direction where I've just come to accept this about myself. I, I've, become, I've come to accept a particular sin or I've come to accept some things about me that I really know I need to change, but I'm, I'm not doing it, and I've kind of given up on even trying to change. And I've just, I, 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 not that I'm accepting God's grace, I'm just accepting that sin. And, and it's, it's just not a big deal to me anymore. So maybe sometimes we find ourselves where we're lacking sorrow for our sin. Other times, though, maybe, uh, maybe the problem is that, that we just can't accept God's grace. That, that the guilt that I feel about a sin or just a, a life of sin or whatever, all, whatever ways I was misaligned with God's will, that I just feel guilty about that all the time. And it's one thing to feel bad about the consequences. Maybe I did something that I've got, you know, there's still uh, repercussions from that, but I, I still feel the guilt. And I, I pray to God for forgiveness but it's like it didn't take. Like, I don't know, was God not strong enough? Was his grace not strong enough to deliver me from that sin? There's just something going on within me that, that makes, makes it difficult for me to really accept his forgiveness. Um, and so if a, if a lack of sorrow means I've forgotten how poor I was at one time, maybe a lack of the acceptance of grace means I've really forgotten how rich I am and, and all that God has done for me. And, and I have forgotten that that gap that was once so great between God and me that when I, I gave my life to Jesus and I was baptized in His name and my sins were washed away, that that gap was eliminated. And so there is no sin that would separate me from God. And, and I think really the... The, and I, just, I love the song that we sang earlier that, um, that talks about, um, you know, the line is, what you say of me, I believe. What you say of me, I believe. I say all these awful things about, you know, how bad I am and, and you know, God can never forgive me. And here's God saying, no, nope. <laughs> you know, you're, you're loved, you're held, uh, you're cherished, all, the, all these things. I just, I wanted to kind of, you know, call time out when we were singing that and say, and come up here and tell you all this and say, let's sing it again. Because I, I think that message is so powerful that, that we're going to believe what God says about us rather than what our guilty conscience might say sometimes. I remember Mariel Hemingway many years ago hearing her talk about negative self-talk. And she said she finally realized that if she had a friend who talked to her like she talks to her, she would stop being friends with that person. Uh, just, we, we need to believe what God says about it. That's what grace is all about, what God says about us. And so I, I think the challenge of repentance is keeping these in balance. The real challenge of repentance is, is feeling sorrow for those times and those ways that I hurt God. But not just dwelling there. Also, moving over to grace and, and believing that 
If I really am God's son or daughter, like he, he says I am, then I accept his grace. Or there are times when I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, my life's not aligned with God, but I just I think about the cross. Or maybe it's a song that I hear and it just really touches me and that moves me to sorrow. But either way, I'm, I'm redirecting my life now because something on the inside that's really good has happened. Uh, I've decided that I don't want to be here anymore. I want to be aligned with God's will. And I think keeping those in balance, as I said, is, is the real challenge. Many, many years ago, there was a, a married woman who was caught in bed with a married man. Uh, caught in the very act. And what made it so bad was it wasn't just a neighbor who caught them, uh, you know, or, or some, some uh, uh, uninterested person. It wasn't even their spouses. It was the religious leaders of her community. They caught her. Um, and so what they did, what they decided was needed to be done was they took that woman and they went to the temple. And the reason they went to the temple was they knew that's where Jesus would be. They knew that he was there. There was a crowd around him and he was teaching. And so they just, they grab this woman and they drag her into the temple with all the guilt, all the shame that you know she felt, and they interrupted his sermon, stood her in front of him, and said, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Right in front of everybody. They said that in front of everybody. And they said, now, the law of Moses said that she should be stoned that we should, we should execute her with rocks. Now, what do you say, Jesus? They didn't, they didn't care about the law of Moses. They, they really didn't, because what, really what the law of Moses said was that they both should have been stoned, both the man and the woman. They only brought the woman. And really, they didn't care about the woman either. They, they were just using her as a trap, because they knew that if they could just get Jesus, no matter which way he went, they had him, and they could discredit him in front of all the people. Because if he says, yeah, you're right, that's what we should do, we're going to stone her, then the, the people, he's going to lose influence with them, and they're not going to follow him anymore. And if he says, well, you know, and people really don't do that much in our society anymore, so we're just going to let it slide, then they could say, well, so you don't believe in the law of Moses. And they could discredit him as a, as a teacher. So they, they kind of had him, and they were just... They were about using that woman. It probably was a setup, really, uh, in order to trap him, to discredit him. In my imagination, here's how this played out. I can just kind of picture this scene where Jesus says, well, the first thing he does was he, you know, this, uh, there's a very tense moment. Um, and then, you know, that woman is just crimson red with embarrassment. And so Jesus stooped down, maybe got on one knee, and he began, took his finger and began to write in the dust on the ground. Don't know what he wrote. Love to know what he wrote, but he didn't, he didn't, we don't know. And I think really what he was doing was because he cared about the woman, was trying to deflect attention away from her. Because now, rather than everybody looking at this woman to see, you know, what, just to see her, now they're looking at him. What, what's he doing? And probably even the woman forgot for a moment about what was going on and wanted to see what he was doing. So he stoops down and he takes all this attention away. But they don't give up. These religious leaders just kept 
pressing him. What are you going to do, Jesus? We need an answer. Tell us what we should do with this woman. You're this great leader. You're, you know, you claim to be a prophet or whoever it is you're claiming to be. You give us wisdom as to what we should do. So eventually, Jesus stands up and he said, and my, again, this is the way I kind of imagine. I can picture him saying, yep, you're right. She, that's what the law says. This woman needs to die. And so here's what we're going to do. I want every one of you to reach down and grab a rock. I mean, and get a big one because we've got a job to do here. I mean, justice has to be served. Uh, she broke God's law, and so we, we've got to punish her for that. So everybody reach down and grab a big rock, and everybody rear back and get ready to throw. And the way we're going to do this is we're, we're going to throw these rocks at this woman, but we're going to let whoever has not sinned lead the way. You throw the first stone at her. And in my imagination, I can just picture all those stones, the sound of all those stones dropping. They didn't have Jesus. Jesus had them. And I, I love that John in chapter 8 where he tells this story says that the accusers began to just kind of you know, make their way out through the crowd. And it was the older ones who went first. They, they were able to figure out pretty quickly that, no, he got us again. <laughs> he got us again, and so this is a lost cause, so let's just, let's just get out of here and, and save face as best we can. So they all leave. The crowd is still there, but it's Jesus now face to face with this woman. And you know she's wondering, what is he going to do? If he is a son of God, this is where... The, He's going to just blast me and say, do you, do you realize the damage you could have done? Do you, do you realize how awful this was? It's not what Jesus does. John tells us that he stood up again after they leave and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Don't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Brothers and sisters, write that verse down. When you get home today, put that verse on your mirror, put it on your refrigerator, put it on the dash of your car, put it somewhere where you can keep that verse before you. Because this is really the heart of repentance. This is really what repentance comes down to. We are guilty. We feel that sorrow. Jesus says, I don't condemn you, but I want to challenge you to live differently. He didn't say, uh, you could have got me in all kinds of trouble. Why'd you do that? Neither did he say, it's okay. You can go on back to the arms of your lover. Instead, what Jesus said was, it is okay. I'm not condemning you for this, but I just want you to live better. I want you to realign your life with the will of God. This is the heart of repentance. This is the key to living a life that is in sync with the will of God. In His Word, God has given us such uh, meaningful and, uh, and, and comforting and challenging uh, and encouraging direction for our lives. A, a life that is lived according to the will of God, that, that is a... That's, us at our best. That is the best version of us that any of us will ever experience. A life lived in accordance with the will of God. 
Because that kind of life uh, is going to be a life that is marked by love. It's going to be marked by integrity. It's going to be marked by kindness. It's going to be marked by service and so many other wonderful attributes that really help us live life at our very best. Through Jesus, what God has done is provide us the motivation to stay with that life when we fail, to, to realign our lives. He's provided the motivation to do that, but He also has provided this, this incredible love that allows us to accept forgiveness. Through the cross, He accepts us, and through the cross, He challenges us. Maybe that's why they call it amazing grace. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for this wonderful, wonderful grace. And we're thankful for these stories that have been held for us all these years. Uh, the teachings from Paul and the example of Jesus and this woman. And we see ourselves in all of them. And we're thankful that you are a God who, um, who does love us so much that you would, you would work all this out. And Father, we, we confess that we are sorry for the times that we failed. And Father, if we don't feel that sorrow, help us to feel it. Help us to realize what a good thing it is uh, to, to be hurt because we have hurt you. But we're also thankful you won't leave us there, that you also just wrap your arms around us and hug us and just tell us it will be okay, that you, you made that possible through the cross. So I pray that as we go out this week, um, that we will, when we need to, when we're misaligned with you, uh, that you'll draw us to your love uh, through sorrow and through grace. In Jesus' name we pray.